welcome to General Conference Conversations, where we have conversations about General Conference. I'm your host, Kaylin, and I'm super excited to be here with you studying the words of Christ's chosen leaders. I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello. <clears throat> welcome back to another episode of General Conference Conversations. Um, it's a beautiful morning cold it's snowy outside for me so it's really cold um and i hope you all are doing good whenever you <clears throat> watch this whether it's the morning or the afternoon the evening or 10 years from now whatever it may be um today we are talking about sister browning's talk it was the third talk in Saturday morning session. I really, really loved Sister Browning's talk. Um, it's called Seeing More of Jesus Christ in Our Lives. And as always, I encourage you to listen to or read this talk before you come and listen to me <laughs> talk about it. Um, so that you can get some of your own inspiration and questions to ask and things like that but i'm gonna dive right in um so her title really says it all seeing more of jesus christ in our life that's her big overarching theme is centering christ in our lives in our worship in literally everything that we do <laughs> in our missionary work literally everything so she starts off by um, talking about wearing glasses, about having glasses for as long as she can remember. And when she opens her eyes every morning, the world's very disorienting. And, you know, her reflex is to grab her glasses and put them on. Um, and she says, over the years, I have come to recognize this behavior, sorry, recognize that this behavior illustrates my daily dependence on two things. First, a tool that helps me to clarify, focus, and ground the world around me. And second, a need for tangible guidance to continually point me in the right direction. This simple routine, sorry, simple routine practice mirrors to me a significant observation about our relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's a very simple analogy and I, I really love it. Obviously I wear glasses, so I totally understand <laughs> waking up in the morning. I was actually just talking to my husband this morning um, as he was getting ready for work. He was getting ready to leave and I had come out of our bedroom. I was like just waking up um, and I hadn't put my glasses on yet. And so I walked out of our room and I said, like I said, it's snowing out today. And so I'm like squinting through our front window to try and see the snow. And I looked at my husband and I was like, I forget how blind I am until I forget to put my glasses on. And like, I'm not a hundred percent blind. Like I can make it around. Obviously I made it out into the living room and I didn't run into anything. Um, and I'm, I'm nearsighted. So I can like, see everything like if i take off my glasses right now i can i can see what's in front of me but any farther than like where my phone is sitting which is like i don't know a 
foot, two feet from me, um, goes blurry around the edges and then it gets really blurry around the edges and then I really can't see anything. Um, and so I obviously really get the like, oh, I need to grab my glasses. Otherwise, like, I can do it, but like, not very well. I can get through life, just not easily. Um, which is what I would add to that also of like, we'll get into it, but that that's, that's what she's saying is, you know, that practice mirrors significant observation about our relationship with Christ, that um, Christ clarifies, focuses, focuses, and grounds the world around us, and he is tangible guidance to continually point us in the right direction. Um, and I would add, from my personal experience, <laughs> we can get through life, we can get through life, fine, like, we'll stumble and it's whatever, um, but it's a heck of a lot easier with and I a lot safer um, and more happy with Jesus Christ in it. If I didn't have glasses, I would be able to drive. Or if I, I would, I would be able to drive, but not safely. And a lot of other things, right? There's a lot of. I take my glasses for granted until I don't have them on. <clears throat> um. So she talks obviously about the savior and um, she says the words and teachings of Jesus Christ can as recorded in scripture <clears throat> and messages from his chosen prophets and his spirit received through daily prayer, regular temple attendance and the weekly ordinance of the sacrament can help to restore peace and provide the necessary gift of discernment that brings Christ's light and his under understanding to the corners of our life and in a world that may be cloudy. And I just really liked everything that she lists in there. Like it's a, it's just one sentence that I just read you. <laughs> it's a long sentence. Um, and there's a lot of like goodness in there. Um, she talks about, she like lists a bunch of ways that that helped to restore peace. So it's the words and teachings of Jesus Christ recorded in scripture and messages from his chosen prophets um, and his spirit received through daily prayer. So those are three things, the scriptures, what we get from the prophets and apostles and our own personal revelation, regular temple attendance, um, and then the weekly ordinance of sacrament. So those kind of five things she lists um, help to restore peace and provide the necessary gift of discernment that brings Christ's light and his understanding to the corners of our life and in a world that may be cloudy. And I think, obviously, <laughs> we can definitely feel like our life is cloudy. The world is definitely cloudy, right? There's a lot always going on in the world, politics and natural disasters and wars and conflict um, in our personal lives, in our families, those closest to us, and within ourselves, our own turmoil, our own inner conflicts. Um, and so 
as she says, to restore peace, which we talked about last episode. <laughs> um, peace so that, that that knowledge that we're taken care of, that like, no matter what happens, Christ is there for us. Um, that's not going to be perfect. <laughs> it's not all going to go away. But that we have him to lean on. And also, I love that she talks about the gift of discernment. Um, I often think we talk about like an eternal perspective, right? Um, which is also great. But sometimes, I, <laughs> this is me personally, I think that saying, oh, just have an eternal perspective um, can sometimes sound a little unempathetic to people who are in a really tough situation or in a not tough situation and they just don't want to hear it, right? I've been told that, like, oh, just have eternal, just have an eternal perspective. Um, which is true, right? Like, that's where that peace comes from, is seeing that whole picture and having faith in that whole picture and in that whole plan that we've been taught since we were five years old. Um, and a whole, you know, faith in, in Christ and his atonement. Um, but sometimes <laughs> hearing that in the midst of a trial, um, can, can feel unempathetic. Um, and so I love like the, the phrase gift of discernment that it's kind of saying the same thing, right? Like when we're discerning something, we, um, let me look up what like the definition of discernment is. Maybe. Just kidding. <laughs> the ability to judge well. So, um, and then it says in Christian contexts, <laughs> perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. Which I really like that. That's cool. I like that perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtain spiritual guidance and understanding, which fits right in with her talk, right? That <clears throat> we have that gift of discernment for our own lives that we can move forward and keep seeing keep perceiving the things that the Lord is doing in our lives and also the things that we can do to keep going, even in the midst of trials. Um, quick example, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this quote, but I just really love this one sentence in this one paragraph. Um, as an example <coughs> of the eternal perspective, <laughs> feeling a little bit clunky personally for me. I'm not roasting just this one phrase we have a lot of phrases not even just in our church but in life in general that are that have kind of come become cliches uh they're true but they're said so often that often they come off as unempathetic and kind of like you're brushing something to the side instead of trying to actually help um, even if you are literally trying to actually help, right? <laughs> it's, I'm not saying that if you've ever said this, you're a terrible person. I'm just trying to like 
explain why sometimes this can come off a little hard. So when I was dating my husband, so we met as missionaries serving in um, Arizona and he's from Canada and I'm from the States and like opposite ends of the continent, <laughs> like very far away from each other. And so he went home about six months before I did um, with all of the COVID missionaries because he has a pre-existing health condition. So we emailed for last like, that's six months of my mission. So obviously we were long distance then. And then when I went home, uh, he came and visited me right after I went home for like five days. And then we didn't see each other for almost a year. Um, and the next time we saw each other was to get married. <laughs> long story, long, long story. I was supposed to go up and visit him. Didn't work out because all the COVID border regulations between Canada and the US. Um, and so we ended up getting uh, engaged over video call, which was not ideal. Uh, planning a uh, wedding over video call, which is also not ideal. And not everything about our wedding was ideal because of everything that was going on. Lots of details and long story short. It was really hard. <clears throat> not only to be dating long distance, but then to be engaged long distance and planning a wedding long distance and figuring out things between countries and immigration and, you know, like even be legally allowed to stay in the country with him after we got married and um, would I be married and then moving back to the States and we'd be long distance again. Like it was a lot to deal with um, while also trying to figure out how much my family could be there and just a lot. And then on top of that, just not being able to see him for a year and having to, you know, miss out on a lot of the normal dating engaged things. Like we didn't go on normal dates. We didn't have normal kissing. We didn't hold hands. We didn't sit and watch movies together. Um, and so I grieved a lot of missing that. I still do. I still look back on that time. It was a really hard time in our relationship. It was great. Last year, I'm now married and living in Canada, but I look back on that and I and I miss those things and I, I grieve the things that I didn't get to do with him. And um, I don't think at the time I ever really had anybody, well, I did. It was less of like a, just think of the eternal perspective, but there were other ways to say that as well, right? Of like, well, you'll be with him soon. When you're with him, you're with him. You know, like once you get married, you have him for all eternity. And just phrases like that that are, are meant to be comforting. And I know that that was coming from goodness of their hearts, but it was really hard for me, who's in the midst of that like, just heartbreaking, right? It's 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 a small thing. It's not like death of a loved one. Um but it was big for me at the time because that's that was what I was going through. That was a big trial in my life. And so it really, really, really helped. Um I was living with my best friend at the time and she was really, really, really great at being like, you can grieve this. Like you can be upset and frustrated and sad that you're not with him and that all of this is happening and that there's crazy things going on and there's so many things that you can't control. Like it's okay to be upset about that. Um, and so I loved 
I loved learning that for myself and being able to be that for others. Um, one of my MTC companions went through something very similar this last summer with her fiance. Um, and I was able to talk to her about it and be like, I know what I, I know what you're going through. And she was frustrated as well, people being like, well, have an eternal perspective, you know, in four months you'll be married and then you'll have him forever and whatever. And she's like, yeah, but right now I'm not with him and it's really, really sucky. And like, I'm like, that's okay. You can be really, really upset right now and really sad and cry and feel all the feels that's healthy. So anyway, but I did, I had faith in Christ. I had faith that God was directing us in the ways that we needed to be directed. And while there are a lot of things that I wish were different about my wedding day and my engagement period and all of that, I believe that I, that we got married at the same time, at the right time, same time. Obviously we got married at the same time. We were both there. Um, we got married at the right time in the sense that I've been in the right places and I'm supposed to be here right now, even though it's really hard and there are a lot of things that like we have big plans and ways to kind of, I don't want to say make up for a wedding day because it was still a really great day, right? I got to marry my best friend. <laughs> I got to marry my husband. Um, but because I have that that gift of discernment, right? I, I, I hope that I had that gift of discernment. Um, we were able to get married and we were able to get to where we are now. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling about this one quote now. And we're going to move on. So... <clears throat> she says friends jesus christ is both the purpose of our focus and the intent of our destination to help us remain fixed and heading in the right direction the savior invites us to see our lives through him in order to see more of him in our lives excuse me And that's the blurb at the very beginning of her talk is the savior invites us to see our lives through him in order to see more of him in our lives. And I'm just gonna leave that there because I can't add anything to that. It's just beautifully poetic and amazing. So she illustrates this using the law of Moses um, and through the Old Testament, which we've been talking about this year in Come Follow Me. And so she talks about the law of Moses, that it was given to the early Israelites, designed to ready them for the higher covenant relationship with God when Christ came to earth, right? And it was rich in symbolism, and it was supposed to point them to Christ, to look forward to his coming, look forward to his atonement, um, to focus on him and to have better understanding of Jesus Christ. So that's a really long pause. <laughs> but then she says, but by the time of the Savior's ministry, 
The Israelites have lost sight of Christ in their observances, setting him aside and adding to the law unauthorized practices that had no instructive symbolism pointing to the true and only source of their salvation and redemption, Jesus Christ. The everyday world of the Israelites had become disoriented and obscure. The children of Israel in this state believed that the practices and rituals of the law were the path to personal salvation and in part reduced the law of Moses to a set of protocols administered to rule civilian life. This required the Savior to <clears throat> restore focus and clarity to his gospel. Which he did, right? He did that. Um, I have loved learning about the law of Moses. Uh, even before this year, I learned a lot about the law of Moses as a missionary. Reading the Book of Mormon. Um, because there's also obviously the law of Moses in the Book of Mormon. And... Um, it doesn't quite get to the same point as in the Bible, but there are a few times where prophets call out people in the Book of Mormon being like, um, the law of Moses is not what's going to save you. Christ is. We're losing perspective here, right? And it's, it's talked about a lot, quite a lot, actually. And so I love learning about that. I love learning about the law of Moses. And then... Um, studying about in the Old Testament as well, like the giving of the law of Moses in the first place. And then seeing that, thinking about that in relation to the New Testament when Jesus comes and is like, y'all are not doing it right. <laughs> and as she says, right, they're, they lost sight of Christ and they added unauthorized practices to the law of Moses that didn't actually point to Christ. It was just kind of, they were rituals and people judged people based on their adherence to these kind of weird laws that weren't actually part of the law of Moses. And so when Jesus came to earth, he had to, he set that right. And um. It's something that I've loved learning about and thinking about in my own life um, has been the law of Moses. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second because that's my like one question for you in this whole talk. But it's a little bit farther down. So she talks about obviously like some of the Israelites rejected his message. Um, even so, going so far as to accuse the Savior of breaking the law. Um, and then, through the atonement, he fulfilled the law of Moses. And there's a couple of sentences here that are like, well, not even sentences, there's little phrases that I love. That she says, his final sacrifice led the shift from sacrificial burnt offerings to our rendering of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, from the ordinance of sacrifice to the ordinance of sacrament. President M. Russell Ballard, teaching on the subject, said, in a sense, the Savior, sorry, the sacrifice changed from the offering to the offerer. And I just love that, like, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
image like that that conjures in my head right um a shift from sacrificial sacrificial burnt offerings to our rendering of a broken heart and a contrite spirit right the offering we give now is not a sacrificed lamb on an altar it's our own will and effort in repenting and becoming like christ and following him uh, the ordinance of sacrifice the ordinance of sacrament which again we're not sacrificing animals anymore we are partaking of the sacrament and reminding or yeah reminding ourselves of christ's ultimate sacrifice that land that that ended <laughs> animal sacrifice um And, and partaking of that sacrament and partaking of that, partaking of that sacrifice sounds weird, but like partaking of that sacrifice that we are benefiting from that sacrifice, benefiting from the atonement and using that atonement in our lives. And then that quote from M. Russell Ballard, Ballard, in a sense, the sacrifice changed from the offering to the offerer, which I just love. There are things that just stick in my brain and phrases like that that are just I'm a word person I'm a writer and so like phrases like that that are just so beautifully written and just evoke such beautiful images just I remember I remember hearing this phrase in conference like it's stuck in my head it's one of the, one of the things I wrote down because it just was so evocative to me um And honestly, I see this a couple of different ways. And I I haven't read <laughs> the talk that this is referencing. Um, there's two talks that it um, lists. I believe it's two talks. Okay, sorry. One of the talk, it looks like it's a talk. It says Ensign. <laughs> um, and signed October 1998, which I'm assuming, actually, I don't know if it's a talk, it might just be an article. And signed October 1998 and Leah Hona, March 2002. So it's two different places, um, four years apart, which is interesting, but they're both called the Law of Sacrifice. So anyway, I have not read this, but the offering, obviously, they're not obviously. <laughs> I don't want to say obviously like haha I'm better than you I believe they're referring to the offering right that the offering in the law of Moses were actual animal sacrifices so changed from the offering to the offerer now at first I thought the offerer is us right which obviously which makes sense um we are giving the offering, right? And it's not so much, we're, the sacrifice isn't our offering anymore. We're not, we're not sacrificing animals again. We're sacrificing ourselves, kind of, right? Like we are sacrificing our will. It's, it's the focus is on us and our own broken heart and contrite spirit and our own will and um, effort. Also, though, offerer could mean the savior. Um, I don't think that's what he's talking about here, 
but go with me because it popped into my brain and now I need to talk it out so that I can figure out if this is makes any sense at all. We're not focused on the sacrifice, the offering anymore, right? We're not focused on that. The the burnt offerings, the, the animal sacrifice. The offerer, Christ is the offerer. He offered his last sacrifice for us as well. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense in my brain. I'm not entirely sure how to get it out of my mouth. So hopefully it makes sense, at least in a little bit. So she then talks about how, um, as an early follower of Cry of the gospel, um, so she, she was a convert and she said a lot of people, you know, saw the changes she was making and uh, had a lot of questions about why she got baptized and why she joined this church specifically and why she does certain things on Sundays and not others and the Word of Wisdom and the Book of Mormon. Um, a lot of the whys behind why she does stuff, right? And... She was like, at the time, those questions felt overwhelming and transparently sometimes accusatory. I feel that. But as I grappled with people's scrutiny, I came to realize that their probing was, in fact, my first invitation to pick up and put on a pair of spiritual lenses to clarify, focus, and solidify what motivated my adherence to the gospel practices and standards. What was the source of my testimony? Was I only carrying out outward performances without allowing these practices connected to God's law to strengthen my faith in Christ or to demonstrate understanding what Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the only source of power in my observances? Which is so powerful, the statement. And just, oh, I have so much to say about that, um, but I'll try to keep breathing. <laughs> she was able to look at her own worship, the way that she was living life, the way that she was practicing the gospel and, and ask herself, you know, am I doing this just because I'm supposed to, because that's what people told me to do, or am I actually letting this have a, a spiritual impact on me? Um, and like all of these I have, connections to God's law, am I being connected to God's God through his laws? Not just going through the motions, not just doing the rites and rituals because other people are going to judge me if I don't do them, but because I have a spiritual connection to them. Um, and I just, I just, I, anyway. <laughs> All I can think about is the new For Strength of Youth pamphlet, which we called, we talked about last episode with Elder Uchtdorf's talk, announcing it, that it's principle-based. That he talks about the whys and the hows behind the principles of the gospel, the principles of making decisions, and the principles of literally everything, right? That we need to know the whys and the hows of the things that we're asked to do <clears throat> so that we can better understand that and we can better make we can make better decisions and better choices 
and so that we can become better people and better disciples of Christ, um, better, we can serve people better, we can love people better when we understand why we're doing something, not just going through the motions. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that this talk was given right after the, the new First Strength of Youth pamphlet was, was, was announced. I'm not saying that the old Strength of Youth was the Law of Moses, because that's a big accusation to make, obviously. But there are similarities, right? The old First Strength of Youth pamphlet had a very laid out physical, visible standards, right? Like, especially about like modesty or dating. Um, and the new one is very principle-based and, you know, love God and love your neighbor. And Christ is your strength and like that sort of thing. So kind of go along with that, but also to go along with Sister Browning, what she just talked about. Are there things that you have always done that you do because you're supposed to, or because that's how it's done, um, that aren't necessarily connected to spiritual strength for you personally? That might be a really, really hard question for you to answer. It might be really painful. <laughs> um, as I looked at my life, and as I've grown spiritually a lot. I've grown spiritually a lot in the last few years, obviously as a missionary, and then now as a returned missionary, as um, a new wife, as me as a person existing in this crazy, freaky world that we live in. Um, <clears throat> finding those things is often a very painful thing when I realize, oh, I don't know if I have a testimony of tithing. I've always just paid it because I feel like that's what I have to do to keep a temple recommend. Or church is really hard for me. Like I love the sacrament, but the rest of church doesn't, I go because I, I have to, right? Um, and other things, there are a lot of other things that I've kind of looked at and um, especially as a missionary, scripture study was a huge one. I always did scripture study because I had to for seminary or because I felt like somebody was expecting me to. And I learned as a missionary to actually love my scripture study, to get lost in the scriptures for an hour every day. And to use that in my own spiritual growth and in my connection to God. And I'm working on the other things. Um, but I want to invite you to be very introspective. <laughs> Are there things that you do, um, you've always done because it's expected of you? Or because that's what everybody else is doing and that's how it's always been done that you don't necessarily have a spiritual connection to that you don't necessarily have a testimony of and it's okay if you don't i'm not that's like i just said i literally am working on these things i am dealing with the same things i am 24 years old i am not perfect 
but I'm curious. Obviously, you don't have to tell me. But um, it's been helpful for me to deepen my spiritual well, <laughs> to deepen my worship, to deepen my relationship with Christ and with God, to have open conversations with them about this. Be like, mm, I really don't get. I don't really. I really don't get it. I really don't get tithing. Why? Like, I don't. I just. I really don't get it. And to keep that line of communication open as I learn more and grow more and experience more and grow up. So that's actually the only question I have for you today. Um, but I want to end with this last quote that she gives. Um, it's from the very last paragraph of her talk. And this is coming off of what she was just talking about. Um, understanding like her worship and the why she why she was doing things. She says, I learned then, as I know now, that our Savior Jesus Christ directs our feet to meeting houses each week to partake of his sacrament, to the house of the Lord to make covenants with him, to the scriptures and the teachings of prophets to learn of his words. He directs our mouths to testify of him, our hands to lift and serve as he would lift and serve, our eyes to see the world and each other as he does, as they really are and as they really will be. Which is just, I, and then she says, as we allow him to direct us in all things, we receive testimony that all good, all things denote there is God, because where we look for him, we will find him each and every day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I would also like to add my testimony to that. That as you look for him, you're going to find him. Because all things denote there's a God. The snow outside of my door right now, even though it is so cold. Um, and I'm like so worried that my husband's going to slide off into the ditch on the way to, <laughs> on his way to work denotes that there is a God. The beauty all around us, the the people in our lives getting up this morning, the breath in my lungs denotes that there is a God. And like she said, as we see our life through Christ and through his atonement and all that he has done for us and will do for us then we're going to see more of him in our lives and that's pretty cool so yeah so that was my one question i'll i'll recap very quickly of we literally just talked about 30 seconds ago so but um look through your life and see if there's in your your worship specifically um that you've always done that you do because you have to or you feel like it's expected of you um that you might not necessarily have a testimony of or that you don't think about in a spiritual connection sort of manner or maybe that you could could find more of a spiritual connection through with god um and yeah oh uh Further reading, if you 
are interested. Um, most of what I have written down are footnotes. Um, the first one is the, all the footnotes that she references about the Law of Moses, which is footnotes 6 through 10. And then... She quotes President Nelson, a talk from last October conference, 2021, uh, Make Time for the Lord. And then I believe, oh, footnote 14, which is the, in a sense, the offering changed from the, uh, um, the sacrifice changed from the offering to the offerer, which are the, the two things from the Liahona and the Ensign. Uh, by M. Russell Ballard, The Law of Sacrifice. So if you're looking for some further study, those might be good ways, good things to check out. Um, I'm trying to remember what she actually references about the, or what scriptures she references. So some of her references, so I said, Sorry, I said footnotes 5 through 10, 5, 6 through 10. Um, some of them are scriptures, some from the Book of Mormon. There's one from the Book of Mormon. There's um, two from the Book of Mormon, actually. And... And then she references... Um, it looks like an article in the Ensign about um, the law of Moses and then a um, another ensign article also with the law of Moses. So there's a couple of ensign articles and then a couple of scriptures from the Book of Mormon. I also highly recommend just looking up law of Moses on your gospel library app. Um, I'm sure a lot of stuff will come up for that. Uh, obviously in the Old Testament, in institute manuals, in literally anything, but also in talks and um, and inside articles and, and things like that, which, and I'm sure we have like a gospel topics essay and <laughs> things like that about it, that and like the Bible dictionary entry would probably be really good to start. So if you're looking to learn more about the Law of Moses and more of what she's talking about here, I highly recommend it because I just love learning about the Law of Moses. It's it's great. It's really fascinating and interesting to me. And also just pay attention when you're reading like the Book of Mormon and you're studying Old Testament this year. Um, and I don't know what we're doing for Gen or for Company next year if we're starting over with um, New Testament, I guess, because we're back at that point now. But yeah, um, so yeah, I feel looking for some further study. That's your, that's your, uh, your bad worms. So I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to and or watching this episode of General Conference Conversations. Be sure to like and follow and share us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like the show, please subscribe or leave a review. 
and tell your friends and family. Also, a quick reminder that there is a physical study guide to go along with these videos. Uh, you can find that link in the description. Until next time.